0: Welcome back to the Effective Ministry Podcast, where we at YouthWorks want to help you have an effective youth and children's ministry in your local church. My name's Tim Bealhartz. I'm Children's Ministry Advisor at YouthWorks, and I'm here with Anne Marie Rivers, also a Children's Ministry Advisor at YouthWorks. How are you
1: today, Anne Marie? Hi. I'm good, thanks, Tim. Good to be here.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for coming along and doing uh, this top end uh, for us so this episode. We're about to jump into an episode with author Alice Warren, who's written for us a book called uh, Godparents Handbook. Um, you've had to listen to the episode in advance.
1: What are your thoughts? I love this episode. I love that Alice has actually written the book. Like so many of us think about things like this and go, oh, wouldn't it be great if somebody wrote the book for this? And she's actually done it. So, you know, it's just wonderful to actually have such a good resource available for people.
0: Well, one of the uh, things we talk about early in the episode as I chat with Alice is the concept of God parenting. Uh, is inherently related to this Reformed understanding of infant baptism. But before anyone presses skip on the episode, who may come from a more believer baptism context, really the big picture of God parenting is this intentional engagement of other adults in the co-parenting, the co-discipleship of our children. Uh, And so we want to think about how we can equip other adults, other people, to engage in this intergenerational discipleship of our children. Um, as you sort of listen to that part of the episode, anne what are things that you appreciate about that concept?
1: I really appreciate that um, Alice did explore the theology a little bit, um, but as she observes, you can't do it all. And so it's a really helpful introduction and really good key ideas brought up. But also there's so much that's practical in this in this book and, and in this conversation, even like I haven't read it yet. The book itself but listening to this episode was really helpful to think about the role of the grandparent and think about practical ways um like it's really memorable and clear things about um you know how you might help like how you might be a good um, godparent when you're close live close by in the same church perhaps or even if you're far away as well as being a good godparent when the kids are younger and as they get older And just all that practical thinking and helpful ideas is just really useful and i think will be really useful for a lot of people and a lot of families
0: well listen out in this episode there's a couple of key things that alice talks about in the book and in this episode one of the little rhymes not really rhyme it's a um memorable three points that she talks about is uh prayer presence and presence uh, and so listen out for that the way that godparents and other engaged adults can engage with your kids um, and also what a, what does a godparenting look like when you're not in the same church in the same suburb or alice's reality even in the same country what do you actually do mm-hmm. how do you do good godparenting in those contexts before we jump into the episode though there are two youth works events coming up that i'd love you to click on and be informed about the first is our intergenerational roundtable events these are low-key conversational events where we talk about the theology the principles and the practice of intergenerational ministry uh, with some special guests and this year one of our special guests is corey seibel who's going to be beaming in from alberta canada and he's going to be helping us think about the concept of generativity Um, which he's written some thoughts about how do churches, uh, intergenerational churches particularly, build faith in the next generation and what the role is of adults in that space. So It's going to be great to have him joining us for those events. Mm. Uh, We'll also have some local ministers from around Sydney telling their stories of practice and what experimenting with intergenerationality looks like in their context. Uh, And so the dates for those Thursday, the 25th of May at Menai Anglican Church. That's down in the south of Sydney and Thursday, the 1st of June at Macquarie Anglican Church. That's more towards the north of Sydney. So the link for that is at youthworks.net and use the events tab at the top for more information there. Uh, The second big event coming up is House Conference. And House Conference is the Children's and Youth Ministers Conference in Sydney. Uh, Perhaps even the world, if I could be so bold. Maybe not, I don't know. It's pretty important to us. Um, House Conference is all about the theological reflection for best practice in youth and children's ministry uh, within the community of youth and children's ministers. So we dig deep into theology and then we use that theology to get really practical about our ministries as well and this year our topic is all the feels discipling the emotions of young people and that is on the 29th to the 31st of august at port hacking sites again in the south of sydney Um, you can register find out more about both the intergenerational roundtable and about house conference at youthworks.net look for the events tab at the top of the page but without any further ado let's jump into the conversation with alice warren I'm here with Alice Warren, parent, godparent, trained teacher, children's minister, very soon to be missionary, uh, and now the author of a new book, A Godparents Handbook. Uh, thanks for jumping on the podcast with us, Alice. When did the whole topic of godparenting first come up for you?
2: I grew up in a denomination that didn't have infant baptism, so I didn't have godparents. Um, it was a theological conviction that my husband and I came to gradually over time. Um, we became convinced of its theological and historical integrity um, in the history of the church. And so when we had children, we decided we would baptize them and figured out that we needed to ask godparents to be part of that. And that's literally when I started thinking about what are godparents and what do they do. Because the people who we asked to be our kids' godparent asked us, well, what do you envision that role being? <laughs> what would you like us to do? And we were like, ah. Oh, Not sure. You probably need to pray for them, and it would be great if you were there on the day when they were baptized. (laughs) And that was the extent of what we
0: knew about it at that point. Yeah, it is uh, largely connected with that idea of infant baptism, which we'll sort of tease that out a little bit. So both of us are coming from Reformed evangelical Anglican context, and so our theological convictions, as you said, are that infant baptism is, uh, to quote the Thirty Nine Articles, most agreeable with the institution of Christ. Uh, In other words the Anglican church sees that baptism of infants is consistent with, it's in line with the theology of baptism as outlined by scripture. Uh, From your perspective, just give us a snapshot version of how you would understand the theology of baptism and particularly how it relates to the life of the church. Mm.
2: I'm really glad that you said snapshot because one of the main problems I had when researching this book was um, in preparing for the chapter on the theology of baptism. to not just keep reading book after book after book i had to say actually this book is not going to cover the entire history of the theology of baptism it's just going to cover a snippet of it so um with that um flagged <laughs> uh i think what i find beautiful about infant baptism is that it focuses the action and movement on god so it's god's movement towards us you look at a baby they are helpless they are small They're dependent on their parents or carers for everything. And that is what we are like with God. And so it is God who first moves towards us. Um, It is, I mean, Jesus says we are meant to become like children to enter his kingdom. And so I find infant baptism a beautiful reminder of of how it's not our response that gets things going. It's God moving in love and grace and mercy towards us when we are running away from him, when we are rejecting him, when we are. we don't want anything to do with him. He's still pursuing it.
0: And uh, as you sort of hinted out there, there is a lot that goes into this theology. You can spend uh, days and days reading about different things. I think I did an assessment uh, when I was at Bible College a number of years ago on looking at different views. And, yeah, the typical Baptistic view, which is wait until they can make a verbal declaration for themselves looking at the reform view uh, you know which is, emphasizes as you said that grace aspect that is God who moves first and so therefore we can celebrate baptism even before they're capable of making a verbal declaration our convictions we're in denominations that fit that but of course we don't necessarily think that it's a, a salvation issue that will and I presume there'll be lots of listeners who are not for um, not in denominations that do infant baptism so let's just paint a picture maybe for those who are not in those type of denominations that have the reformed infant baptism ceremony uh, for those who may not have ever been to an infant baptism. Uh, just explain to us, paint us a picture of what actually happens during the service and particularly as we're thinking about godparents, what are the godparents doing in that service?
2: So I think a key thing to highlight from my experience growing up with adult only um, believers baptism um, is that when an infant is baptised, it usually happens at a font. So there's a bowl of water that's usually on a pedestal. And so that's where everyone gathers for the baptism. It's You're not putting a baby in a giant pool or going out to the beach usually. And so it happens at a church. Um, and the godparents are there to promise to encourage their godchild to grow um, up as a Christian. And they make some um, promises through liturgy. They are sent to some questions about what their personal faith is. To say I'm a Christian and I believe the historical confessions of Christian faith on behalf of the child.
0: And these services would normally happen within the context of the larger worship service? Yes,
2: yeah, so usually just on a regular Sunday morning. Um, most churches seem to meet on a Sunday morning. Um, so it's just part of the service. I think that's a really beautiful thing because uh, another aspect of the theology of infant baptism that I love is that it reminds us that baptism is a welcome into the church family. And so my husband, Ben, and I are raising our children within the church. We're not dropping them off in the park next door and going, see ya, we're going to church. And when you get older, you can come with us um, once you have fully um, accepted that faith as your own. We're bringing them along to be part of the church family now because they are part of God's family now. They get to come along on Sundays and be part of that community. And so until they confirm their faith um, through the process of confirmation um, at an appropriate older
0: age, uh, that's what we do in baptism.
2: We welcome them to start being part of the church family.
0: I had a friend in ministry who was uh, so thoroughly convicted that baptism is welcoming children into the church. He insisted that the very first Sunday that the baby came home from hospital, that was the baptism day. Uh, And too bad if family and friends couldn't make it because... (laughs) I wouldn't dare bring my child to worship together with God's people unless they were baptised. And I thought, oh, that's a fairly hard line position, but he had a conviction on that. But for most people, yeah, you think about uh, some dates that work for family and friends and you all come to, together, there might be some preparation mm. time. I was preparing a lecture on this for uh, YouthWorks College and I went back to the 1662 prayer book. Oh, and one yeah. of the things I really liked about the the intro to the infant baptism service was that something like it would be ideal if the parents who are bringing their child to baptism made themselves known before the service starts <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah. had this giggle in my mind of like halfway through the service oh by the way sorry i've brought little yeah you know, buddy here can we baptize them in the middle of your service and that was yeah. quite um, <laughs> certainly not what would happen today um, so let's start from the parents side Ooh. of the equation uh, let's say i'm a parent Of an infant, what am I looking at in terms of godparents? We're just kind of like my best friends, Mm. uh, someone who I like, what sort of characteristics should I be looking out for as I pick Mm. a godparent?
2: I think the first and most important characteristic of a godparent is that they are a Christian themselves, so that's stated um, within the, the liturgy usually, so that you're affirming that you have this faith as your own, so you would be asking someone who genuinely loves and follows christ i think in terms of other characteristics this is someone who you're hoping to invite into your family and into your child's life specifically for a long period of time and so i think you'd want to choose someone who you feel comfortable sharing how your kid is going their ups and downs how you can they can be praying for them someone who you feel comfortable having in your house um Someone who has character traits that you hope your child can grow up into as well. Maybe they are really patient. Maybe they're very caring. Somehow they're displaying the fruits of God's spirit in wonderful ways in their life. And so I think those are important things. Ideally, you'd have um, two people um, who are of the same sex as your child and one who's the opposite, so you've got a mix there. But you can have, you can have more than three. Um, I think you can also have less as well, depending on um, what works for you. Um, we chose I think four each for our twins because we uh, know we're going to be living overseas and so we wanted to make sure we have uh, a large support group for them.
0: Yeah no, that's great and and those who are regular listeners to the podcast or those who know me will know that I'm really passionate about intergenerational ministry Uh, and one of the things I really love about God parenting is that it creates a structure of intentional engagement of other generations into the life of your child. So you're creating these intergenerational relationships, you're saying, I want you to actively come into the life of my child, to help them form faith and to grow as Christians. And it's a really beautiful way. And um, to see, you know, that I mean, the, the term intergenerational ministry is, you know, only a couple of decades old, but that right from yeah, well, 1662 for Anglicans and even earlier if you go back into the um, the Catholic heritage, mm. you've got this sustainable way of saying, no, no, no it's actually it takes a, a village to raise this child to know and love Jesus. So I was very excited when I was chatting mm. with the publishing team at YouthWorks and they said, oh, we've got a godparents handbook coming out. I thought, oh, perfect. It's exactly what we need. Just to interrupt there, I just think it's fascinating that
2: um, the role of the godparent in co-parenting was actually solidified like there was, there was a word for that relationship. So your godparent was viewed as a co-parent with you in raising up your child to know Jesus. Previously, they used to have terms for that. And now it's just, oh, it's the godparent of your child. But they were so significant and they were so connected to you and what you did that they, the relationship between you and the godparent had a name.
0: Yeah. Now, that was something I learned from your book, um, that the, the compadre and comadre yeah. um, actually literally were co-parent, co-fathering, co-mothering, mm. and had this idea in mind Mm. let's get into the guts of your book because you have written this not necessarily for the parent though the parents will obviously get a lot of value out of this yeah but for the godparent so Mm. I've been asked to be a godparent um and like the people that you asked the question is well what do I do so let's get practical. Mm -hmm. Those who have been asked to be godparents, what does it actually look like to take seriously that responsibility of co-parenting and particularly co-parenting the aspects of faith development?
2: I think there's two things I would want to say first. And the first is that there's no easy checklist of just do two things or these three things and you'll be a great godparent. It depends on you and your personality and your gifts and your godchild and what what they like and how they enjoy connecting relationally and also the family um, and so just want to say it looks different from person to person and secondly i have some great ideas of what you could do practically within this book and um, i'll give you the outline in a second but it's important to note that these aren't meant to be weighty burdens they are painting a picture of what your relationship could look like they are not meant to be things that you look at and go oh no i haven't done that or i'm not very good at that i'm the worst godparent ever and then just either give up or try to motivate yourself out of feeling terrible the standard that we have for ourselves is always grace not perfection like that we're we're under god's law of grace and so that applies in God parenting as in all realms of life in that we seek to God parent well and take our responsibility as God parents seriously um, but we don't I don't want people to feel condemned and overburdened um, by these things
0: oh it's lovely that you you start your book with that the the Mm. first couple of pages is let's start with grace let's start with the gospel and know that it we we are called to act and to participate, but we also rest in the knowledge that God is the one who grows and he is the one that is acting in the life of the child. And and we're just participating with him mm. in that, which is a really lovely way to start the whole conversation.
2: Yes, so with that in mind, um, the framework that I talk about in the book is that there's basically three things that are important for you to do as a God parent, and they all start with the letter P. So that's really helpful to remember. The first is prayer, so to be praying for them. Um, the second is presents, so giving them gifts um, at their birthday, Christmas, Easter, whatever festivities you celebrate, it's good to give a gift to your godchild then. And presents with a C, so physically being present with them, or if you live further away, connecting somehow over distance. So those are the three things I outline and with ideas on how to do it for different ages and stages as well.
0: Which is great. And I don't want to steal too much (laughs) thunder because I'd love people to go to youthworksmedia.net and pick up the book for themselves. But let's just, a couple of uh, queries Mm. that people might have. So um, I've been asked to be a godparent, but I'm not great Mm. with little kids. So help me out. What can I do when I, I know I'm not real great with little kids?
2: Yes, I mean, obviously, if you don't enjoy children at every single age and stage, you can't be a
0: godparent. <laughs> um, no, that's
2: <laughs> – there are always different ages and stages that you connect with better or find trickier, mm. um, whether you're the parent of that child or the godparent. And so the plus side of finding the younger years tricky is that you can actually connect with and care for your the person who's asked you to be the godparent to the parents. You can connect with them and ask them how can I care for and support my godchild because I don't really know what to do with a one-year-old or a three-year-old, however old they are. Um, But also you can hang out with them as a family. So being a good godparent doesn't mean that you feel supremely confident taking a -a two-and-a-half-year-old to the park on your own. If that sounds horrible to you, that is okay. You can go and be the extra pair of hands carrying all the bags for a family trip to the park. And that is a wonderful way to spend time with your godchild without it being a terrifying experience if you're
0: losing the kid up the slide. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And, and you've got lots of those kind of examples. Um, uh, at the other end of the the age, I suppose, is you know teenagers, both for, for parents, uncles and aunties, but also for godparents, mm. can often be a bit an age of disconnect, thinking through, okay, my, my godchild's now 13, 15, 17. Mm. It's not just as easy as sitting down, reading a storybook Bible with them and taking them to the park. How does the godparent relationship change as they enter adolescence and what sort of things can we do
2: i mean i think a key thing that changes through adolescence often for kids who grew up in a christian family is that they enter a different stage of their faith development journey Mm. so they're often questioning pushing back they don't actually like their parents as sources of authority (laughs) on things anymore which comes as a surprise to all parents of teenagers what my kid doesn't think my opinion's amazing (laughs) um but as the godparent you are not their parent and so that is a helpful position to have uh, but you are someone who's hopefully been caring for and investing in them for a long period of time and so that means that even if you're finding the teen years complicated you're not really sure who this moody person is anymore after having um, some time connecting with them when they were younger you can still show that you love and care for them by by, by being interested things that they care about. So you might not be an expert in, I know, the movies that they like watching or the games they like to play, but you can use Google, you can research, you could ask your godchild to explain it to you and being genuinely interested and caring enough to spend your time learning about something that matters to them is really significant in the teen years because it shows that you don't just care about them becoming a Christian, although you obviously really do care about that you care about them as a person and the things that matter to them as well so if they're very passionate about minecraft you sit down and you watch them play and you have a go and you ask other people who play right what are some intelligent questions i can ask about this game you don't just go oh that's such a waste of time i didn't do that when i was younger that's so dumb you don't do any of those things you just pray god please help me to genuinely care for this teenager my godchild by showing it by developing a genuine interest in these things that they like to talk about so that would be my advice for that particular stage
0: yeah that's great I think a general rule for anyone involved in children's or youth ministries or godparenting or uncles aunties is just be curious Mm. and that way you don't have to know anything about anything just know how to (laughs) ask questions uh, could be a great thing I don't know about how you picked your godparents, but I picked godparents for my kids. It was the people who were close to us and largely they were close to us because we were all in the same church mm. together, which meant relationally we saw each other all the time, not just on Sundays, but midweek Bible studies and we're in ministry together. Now that was, well, 14 years ago for my eldest. We sort of ended up, life circumstances are in different places mm. and you, you're about to go on mission um, out of the country. And so... I guess one of the questions that's really pertinent for many of us, and for you particularly, is what do we need to do if there's a distance? What if I don't live in the same suburb or city or country as my godchild? Mm. How do I engage when I'm not geographically close?
2: I think that's a really important question because I think we're more mobile than ever. And so the likelihood of all of your kids' godparents being in the same suburb is quite unlikely. So. I think it changes the relationship and it really depends on the age of the godchild, particularly. If you're trying to connect with a one-year-old who's just moved overseas, it will obviously be more through their parents than with them directly. They can't really, they don't really understand Zoom yet. <laughs> but there I think we're also at a time period where we've gotten really used to connecting with people over distance. I mean, in Australia with the different lockdowns, at least here in Sydney. There are often times when, even though we lived in the same city as our kids, godparents and grandparents, we couldn't see them. So there were different ways that we got to experiment with then to see what worked for our kids and for us and for the people who, our family and godparents who love and care for them. And so I think making the most of the technology that's available is probably the first place to start to go. Actually, just because you live far away, it doesn't mean you can't connect at the same time though um kids also love concrete stuff like actual real things that they can interact with and so sending i know my mum sent um, my eldest a letter in the mail the other day and um, they just lived down in wollongong she sent him a letter and it just listed all the funny all the phrases he thinks are very funny and <laughs> i read it out loud to him <laughs> and so that's a great way to connect over distance too you just go the parent will read this letter to the kid and the kid will go, that's amazing. Someone cared enough about me to post a letter. I mean, yeah. who posts letters today?
0: Yeah. So both old technology and new technology, but yeah. things that strengthen those relationships. Yeah. That, uh, that's really, really excellent. Thank you so much, Alice, for jumping in. I want to make sure that everyone grabs a copy of this. If you're a church leader and particularly if you mm. do a lot of baptisms in your church, this would be great buy 20, buy 50, have a stack of them in your church office ready to hand out. It's a short little book. What are we looking at? We're looking at 58 pages.
2: It's not going to take you too
0: long to read. (laughs) Not too long at all. Not too long at all. It's very accessible. You can pick up a copy of A Godparent's Handbook at youthworksmedia.net and also at other Christian bookstores around the place. I'll put some links in the show notes. Alice, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thanks for your creativity. Thanks for writing this excellent handbook and for helping us all be better godparents thank
2: you for interviewing me it's my pleasure
1: the effective ministry podcast is a production of youth works in sydney we want to see effective youth and children's ministry in every church and one of the ways that you can help us do that is by letting people know about this podcast in all the usual ways like comment share and review on your favorite social media and podcasting platform If you've got comments, thoughts, or questions for this podcast, you can email us at effectiveministrypodcast at youthworks.net and also check out youthworks.net for other ways that YouthWorks can help you have an effective youth and children's ministry in your church.